I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming on! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to our Big Ireland-Wales preview on the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey sitting here in studio in Dublin from where we'll be hearing the thoughts of Bernard Jackman and Murray Kinsler very shortly indeed. This is our fourth podcast of the week and if, if you missed the first three, which included Murray's immediate post-match assessment on Saturday, Owen Tulin's performance analytical breakdown on Monday, and Gary Doyle's interrogation of Murray regarding Ireland's freshly named team to play Wales on Tuesday... Perhaps you've not yet signed up to the 42 membership. For €5 a month or €42 a year, you'll get all of our Six Nations podcasts, four of them each match week, as well as entry into our members' rugby WhatsApp group and exclusive insider emails from Murray, Gary and Sean Farrell. And if your persuasion extends beyond the Oval Ball, you'll also get access to Paul Dollery's award-winning Football Family podcast, which just wrapped its first season to critical acclaim. Gavin Cooney's Behind the Lines podcast, in which he sits down with some of your favourite sports writers to hear some of the amazing stories behind the stories. And a cracking new GA podcast that we have in the oven as well. I really like the concept of that one. Members.the42.ie is where you can go to sign up. Five a month or 42 bob for the year. Loads of you have already done so over the course of the Six Nations so far, which we greatly appreciate. We're looking forward to hearing from you all over the course of the tournament. And I am looking forward to hearing from Bernard Jackman and Murray Kinsella right now. Murray, how are you? I'm good. It's good to hear your voice again because we've done so many podcasts, as you mentioned, without without you. And I was a bit worried about your status, actually. Gary Doyle made a good stab at the, the presenting duties. He was absolutely superb. I was a little bit worried about my own status as well, <laughs> frankly, after listening to that one. Bernard, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm excellent, thanks. Good to see um, your editor showing face and your ability on past experience and past form. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a vote of confidence, isn't it? Straight uh, the skin of my teeth, I think, to, to borrow your phrase from... I got abuse about that, actually. Yeah? yeah? So you... you rec- I mentioned that uh, I thought Conor Murray was hanging on by the skin of his teeth and he needed a big game, but uh, people, a lot of people disagreed. Yeah, interesting. I, could, I think a bit, people are either on one side of the fence or the other. Yeah, you know it's an extreme. So, totally. There's no outrage, grey area. Outrage that Cooney's not starting, or it's outrage that people are even questioning Conor Murray. Yeah, it's fairly parochial, and there isn't much in the shape of a grey area, really. Uh, Bernard, what were your overall thoughts on Ireland-Scotland before we get into all of the Wales stuff and yeah. previewing the game this um, weekend? I, just, I think there was definitely lots of endeavour. We actually probably looked better in open play um, than we have for a while. I think, um, you know, we didn't convert line breaks into into points as, 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 as obviously as often as we would have liked. But I suppose from a negative point of view, you know, scrum was, was unusually weak. And physically, we we didn't have any dominance. So Scotland looked the more powerful team. Um, and that was scary. And, and that's kind of going back to, I suppose, the worrying signs we saw in 2019 when England came and Wales were you know were, were very dominant physically against us um, and the worry was you know we were just getting knocked back I thought Scotland defensively were, were far better um, and you know you can see a change there that's been a big Achilles heel for them um, but it's just worrying that we weren't able to really I suppose dominate them on the gain line and no matter what way we evolve our game you know, once you get 10 yards out, um, you do need that element of, of, I suppose, superiority physically to be able to, uh, you know, to turn turn that, that, those, that 
territory into into points, and um, I'm sure Andy Farrell will be that'll be a big work on for them. Um, and having you know, I do take into account that Scotland weren't the you know the powder puff defence that we've seen in the World Cup, but still worrying that we couldn't really uh, dominate them with the ball defensively. We, we were much you know we were fine, um, but we weren't fine, but we weren't too bad defensively. But um, attack wise, we I thought we were a little bit shy. It kind of reminded me, thinking back this week, of Joe Schmidt's first test window. You remember that November test window where they played Australia? They didn't play well. And after the match, Paul O'Connell came out and said, we'd focus too much on trying to add little different bits in. We forgot about the primary importance of being physical, being aggressive. I was kind of surprised it happened with an Andy Farrell team because that seems to be his basis for everything. And it it should be the basis for any team. And I think that'll be a definitely have been the big focus this week almost calling people out showing them clips of Rory Sutherland and Nick Haney and guys who haven't proven themselves at test level absolutely dominating them in contact mm-hmm. Fraser Brown was smashing guys absolutely he's got to deserve credit for that but Ireland will feel I don't know shame is the right word but a, a bit of anger and regret and frustration about how, having let that happen yeah and psychologically I mean you know that would have been very much the, the element the angle Scotland would have taken showing clips from the World Cup where I mean you know some of their goal line D in the World Cup against Ireland was was laughable, you know, and there would have been an element of hurt if Steve Tandy coming in, who, um, as defence coach, um, you know, obviously ex Osprey's defence coach, ex Osprey's head coach, Waratahs, he generally brings a lot of physicality to his teams, um, and probably from an Irish point of view, you know, they probably are focusing on this this changing style of play, positivity, etc. And it would have been hard to believe that you couldn't bully Scotland, given how the games in the past have have gone. So um, I think maybe his top two inches would be a lot to do with that. And hopefully this week, you know, we know that against Wales, that's you know, whether it's Pivac or Gatland, um, they won't shy away from from trying to you know be direct when they have to be. So um, today's a re- or Saturday's a really good opportunity to to just fix that quickly. Do you think some of the staples of Ireland's game from the Schmidt era and just what we've grown to expect of them sort of fell by the wayside in that they were probably trying to do new things and add these new strings to their bows? Like, for example, the mall, you really would have expected uh, to have rolled a lot further than it did. And I think it was nine attempts uh, in the game last weekend and they just got absolutely no purchase out of it. And I think you pointed out as well on one, one of the members pods, Murray, during the week that like, even psychologically, when the mall isn't isn't really motoring, um, it can become kind of damaging for a team. You're just losing that little bit of forward momentum. Yeah, I think that was the most disappointing part for me. Definitely the scrum penalties were frustrating. I know Ireland have grievances about that, and they have grievances about Scotland's mall defence, but you can't complain. I thought Ireland were slow to get into their, their set for the mall. A couple of times, the, the guys who'd lifted got shoved back. It just destabilises the whole thing. It looked lethargic. I don't know if that was down to trying different mauling strategies or whatever, but to me, it just like looked like Scotland beating them in that in that race and that aggressive element of it. So that's a massive area for them. And it does feed your whole game. If you can get that set piece, platform, play off a good scrum, get some go forward there, get your maul rumbling, it puts everyone on, a, on the back foot and, and then your attack flows off the back of that. It is just jarring to see an Ireland pack I get bullied at times, really, especially by a team like Scotland. And again, they, I thought, had their best performance in, in years, really, against Ireland. I was really surprised by what they brought. But there's such a, a kind of carrot there for Ireland in terms of turning it around. It's due to be raining on Saturday in Dublin. So while it's brilliant, I think, that Ireland showed some glimpses of trying to develop and maybe got a bit caught up in that at times and forgot about being direct and, and getting those carries in their pods right and latching on well and, and clearing out really effectively, yeah, it's good that they're going to try and broaden the, the palette a bit, but... 
in those conditions, which it looks like it's going to be, it's going to be uh, just absolutely pivotal to to win the collisions, to be really, really solid in the set piece, restarts, uh, scrum and, and mall. So, yeah, they're the, the big focuses, I think, this week. What was your interpretation of the mall, Bernard? Robin Dempsey in the WhatsApp group was asking for your thoughts. On uh, yeah, I agree. I think our, our, our mall's gone backwards you know over the last year year uh like we've we still kicked to the corner um like we you know like we believe we're going to convert it into into tries and there hasn't been that evidence of it it's not really a weapon further out the field to to milk penalties anymore and i don't think you can crib about you know legitimately about scotland's defense i mean um you know the law there's always going to be laws broken around them all you just gotta you know you gotta be the enforcer you gotta be um the ones who are actually you know bringing it and, and I agree with Murray that we were too slow to get set we don't seem to have you know that second shove we, we, we just lack a little dynamism there and I think it's hard for Simon Simon's obviously doing defence now as well apparently so you know less time probably to to really f- focus on that and um, it's a key part of the game I mean you know uh, people talk about shapes and, and obviously we know Ireland are, are trying to evolve their shape but if you can get go forward off, off a mall you can either milk penalties or well, obviously you kick the corner you know you score but also it's a great attacking platform to play off a mall that's going forward forward and um, you can go into the seam at a 10 channel and go wide off it so I think definitely for Ireland's attack to evolve um, you know a dominant set piece is going to be absolutely absolutely key and uh, you know they've work to do we can understand you know why um, with such a short period it wasn't as good as maybe it needs to be but definitely for us to have any hopes of winning the championship or triple count there'll have to be a marked improvement there I think the mole is something that probably they can fix in terms of what they were doing wrong quite short term I think one example where I think it was Hamish Watson who turned it over the ball's yeah. actually with Josh Van der Fleer and Rob Herring's at the tail of the mall without the ball he's yeah. just hanging on at the back it was a really kind of bizarre sight the transfer just didn't happen so there are little things that I would imagine can, can improve very quickly and I would expect to see definitely a response from Ireland there If Easterby is dividing his time between uh, defence coaching and the mall and the mall is suffering as a result I mean that to me, seems almost amateurish. Like it, it seems farcical. Oh, no, I'm not. Like this, no, um, it's a very, very small um, sample pool to to say it. But we, you know, he is splitting his his role now. Um, so again, that'll be something obviously far to look at over the course of at the end of Six Nations and say, you know, has he enough time to to do both really well? And um, if not, I'm sure there are a few will yeah. will 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 fund a, an additional coach. You know, it is a period of adjustment all, all around though as well. We got to remember that. Like it, it's not a cop out. It's I didn't think their performance was good enough. They didn't hit the standard that they've set for themselves in, b- before the World Cup, certainly. A- and that's not acceptable for them. But it is going to take some adjustment. There are going to be hiccups, definitely. There were in the attack. You saw defence at times. Maybe, I don't know if they've slightly tweaked things, but guys getting used to different roles around the rock and, and at the mall as well. That's going to happen. And at the start of a championship, that's going to happen. But if you don't see some of those things ironed out this weekend, then then you'll have questions. Yeah, but I, I agree, Murray. But also, like, after... After Doris went off, you know, whatever the first five minutes, um, you know, that was seven of the eight starters for Ireland in the pack for the last probably year most of the time. And then yeah. Herring had been used to being in around the squad as well. So it wasn't a drastically new pack. So I think that's probably an area I would expect them to be up to speed quicker in, in, in that area, uh, in a set piece and what goes on after a set piece, um, than. We, you know, I, I think we're much more tolerant and much more patient around attacking shape. Um, but you'd expect that area of the game with so few changes to really just click into action quickly. So definitely, I think this week, you know, given you know the the consistency of selection, um, you it's going to have to be better. It, it it has to be better, and yet based on the evidence of say the last sixteen seventeen months, if you have seven of the eight 
start there's there's no uh <laughs> reason to suggest it will be actually based on the pattern of what we've seen like as murray points out they were sort of driven backwards and nearly bullied at times by scotland yeah. now wales would be more than capable of inflicting even more suffering upon them if they don't improve uh astronomically really between yeah no, I, like, listen I, I, like bookies have his favorites but like on form it's it's a big challenge for Ireland. I think Wales are Wales are in a pretty good place, you know. Um, and I actually thought, I, and I do think there will be a, a little bit of transition from Gatland in Gatland's period. Um, but when you look at the quality of the players they have, um, and you look at the confidence they have from a from winning the Grand Slam, you know, from getting to a semi final World Cup when they had a lot of injuries and they were kind of running on empty and, and very close to beating South Africa, you know, you can nearly argue that they're they're come back from the World Cup in a better place than England are mentally, you know, because England had a massive flop. You know, on on the final day when they're expected to win it, and um, so Wales are Wales are in a pretty good place, you know, um, and like their back row in terms of athleticism, like Faletau's back, he wasn't at the World Cup, he wasn't there for the Grand Slam last year. Tipperick's probably the most one of the most athletic ball playing sevens in the world, and Wainwright, you know, is a is a freak athlete, um, and our back row were very good last week for sure, but I mean, you know, that's a I mean, you look at those three alone, um, you know, they've got a really, really strong team. I think your concerns are understandable, though. It struck me during the match at one stage, like, again, I, I think Scotland played really well, but you go, Christ, Ireland shied again. You know, they're really struggling to put Scotland away. It's been such a bad year for a long time. Is this the regression to a mean post-Joe? And that was always the worry that Ireland maybe overachieved under Joe Schmidt when he was at his best and when the team were at their best. Sensational run, you think of 2018, obviously. And you're kind of worried that he's gone now and things maybe change. So, yeah, we have a very, very small sample yeah. base. So let's let's not go into the hysterics yet. But there was that, that thought that struck me going, oh, Christ. This and I think, I think Andy Farrell played the press conference really well in terms of just really highlighting how yeah. much resilience they showed and how that's the key, um, you know, key f- or tool or fundamental that they're going to build on. So I, I, can, I can understand that. And he obviously wasn't going to show at this point. But I'm sure he was disappointed with a lot of elements of it too. Yeah. There's a, a question here from Owen, and it's sort of along the lines of what we're talking about now. Well, given the fact that, say, the pack in particular, and in fact the, the team uh, as a whole looks very familiar going into this game, and that the team consist or has been consistently performing below par, at least uh, in relation to the par that they said under Schmidt uh, during a, a better era, let's say. But Owen in the WhatsApp group um, asks, why is the narrative that Ireland are being sensible in retaining the majority of off-form players and combinations from the Schmidt era. Surely changing the squad, adding form players is the main lever as a coach, uh, is the main lever as a coach has to get the team firing again given time constraints. I feel like change for change's sake is often thrown at fans when surely stability for stability's sake is worse when the team is clearly in a rut. Yeah, it's absolutely a great point. And we have talked about, listen, people talk about a risk of changing things with new players, fresh faces, but there's a risk in not changing things sometimes when people aren't performing. There's definitely a, an element of that but I, I, I do wonder I wonder how much he can really change like Jordan Armour is a new fullback he's a very exciting attacking player Conway's a new face Herring's a new face Doris would be starting if he'd come through last weekend and done okay there's four new starters in the team I know Cooney and Murray is probably the other one and if he started Cooney then the debate would be very very different and people would think it's a completely new different team three new debuts in the first two games like with Deegan coming off the bench ideally this weekend for me like that's a decent amount of change and I'm, yeah, he definitely could have taken 
more probably brave decisions or shaking things up a little bit more but i think there's a decent amount of it in there we don't have a an infinite pool of guys who are ready like if he if he made another four changes and ireland got beaten by scotland on the opening day he's in massive trouble already he believes that the likes of conor murray etc are going to do that job and get him over the line when they when they're tested their experience counts that their form is not as bad as most people are describing as which i i don't think is the case so i think there's a decent amount of change in there I can understand people wanting more and the disappointment on the last year or so or longer really w- with form. But for me, he's, he's done a bit to, to shake up that team. Well, uh, I, sorry. I don't know where you go. Yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know what more you, you expect. The only one you could say is, oh, Kelleher maybe started Hooker, but I thought Herring threw very well. Um, you know, like the back row, Doris was in. Um, now Deegan is in on, on the bench. And yeah, I, like in the backs, there's no one really coming from outside this pool that you would say is harshly done by Bark Cooney. Mm. And again, you know, a lot of people don't, that splits the whole, uh, the whole nation, whether he should start or not. So I, I you know, maybe you could give Kilcoyne, Kilcoyne has been in good form. Yeah. You'd pick him ahead of Keane maybe, but I guess it's still, Kilcoyne's a, is a regular part of that match day 23. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not drastic changes. Uh, but I do think, you know, if Ireland were to underperform on, on, on Saturday against Wales, you know, there would probably be more temptation to blood a few more, but it's it's come from the same pool. Yeah. I mean, as fellas we know a lot about, the only new bloods are, as I said, are Cooney, Kelleher, Deegan, and Doris. You know, they're the only ones really probably justifiably could have a shot. Yeah. yeah. I, per- like I, I personally think they're all, like, even with Deegan, like, I think he's such an exciting talent. Really can't wait to see him get into Test Rugby, and hopefully the game's a bit more open when he comes on if he comes on but for me watching Leinster's games I didn't see him say like Doris winning enough of those collisions being a dominant figure that said to me he's ready to start test row because it is a big leap everyone mentioned every player will tell you that it's, it's scary enough when you take that first step in and, and you saw Doris actually his first two involvements he lost the first collision he got driven backwards by Sutherland then he made a bad reading defence and they got more momentum through it he got the turnover but I can imagine he was going Christ I'm in, in something very different here so I, I don't see where else he really could have changed it Murray Cooney definitely that's a matter of opinion but Will Addison for example is injured he's got a calf injury again mm. so unfortunate he's probably the only other one where you think change is very much a topical term in the country at the moment and like the, as you guys point out there are probably limited options in terms of the changes that you could make for the better at the moment two of the prime candidates to have fallen victim to change last week would have been uh, CJ Stander and Peter O'Malley O'Malley obviously was dropped from the starting team came on performed fairly capably I thought like certainly didn't do anything that would suggest like he should be uh, banished from the setup <laughs> altogether and Stander was man of the match so like they would have been two guys that most fans I think in the country certainly outside of Munster would have been pointed towards as symptomatic of the previous regime and this uh, idea that you're looking for stability for stability's sake and whatever but like they were probably two of the better performers on the day yeah well like I mean just in brief like that kind of goes back to Owen's question there like they did get a kick up the hole Galen Dar started CJ Sander got moved out of his position Peter Manny got dropped from the team he was the vice captain of the World Cup they got a massive reminder that they're not completely infallible so I think he got a response I think that was brilliant and I think hopefully others will feed off that yeah, definitely. That will everyone would have noticed Peter being left out. You know what I mean? So um, now everyone didn't react in terms of having a big individual performance like CJ did. But Peter came on and and he proved that he's still very much uh, a contender to to play in in our back row. So um, yeah, I think Farrell. This will be an interesting week. They're they're going into this week probably with a lot of stuff that they they need to correct, but at least haven't had the win. And 
you know, they'll know and, and they'll relish, I think, the challenge of Wales coming. It's a lot easier to prepare for Wales than, than Scotland mentally, I think, you know. True, particularly when you've played Scotland so recently and given them a bit of a battering. Um, like, just before we move away from the Ireland selection and talk about Wales, you say Cooney and Murray and that debate is a matter of opinion, which it is. Murray, what's your personal opinion? Like, if it's it's kind of a stupid thing to say, look, if you were the head coach, but if you were picking a team, which way would you be leaning at the moment? I'd be leaning towards Conor Murray. Yeah, I, I don't think he's playing as well as he could. I don't think Ireland are going to play as well as they could in 2018. That was the peak. That was his peak. He hasn't got back there, but I just feel like everyone's picking up on the errors he's making. Yeah, the intercept was a, he shouldn't have thrown that pass. It wasn't completely all on him. It was a poor moment, but Everything else he did in the game was was solid. There was nothing spectacular, I know, but he saw, he had a couple more snipes around the rock, carried four times. He linked up well with Larmer when he made that break well. Good positional play in backfield. I thought some of his kicking was good. Um, I saw Ronald Garrison. He thought Stockdale could have done more. We had on the 42, actually. Could have done more in the chase, and I thought Scotland kind of blocked him out a couple of times, but there were some good touches there. I don't think he played badly. And again, the temptation with John Cooney is just to base your opinion on his superb x-factor moments in attack and and definitely they're brilliant but i don't know how really rigidly people are watching him pass every time kick every time the away performance in clermont definitely countered against him in terms of how he managed that game so listen i absolutely think it's neck and neck and i'm not trying to down to uh, talk down john cooney's performances he's been brilliant and he has that incredible confidence about him at the moment it's absolutely fizzing off him but for me i'd, I'd probably go be, be sticking with Conor murray it may be just the case bernard that for fans, supporters, everybody watching, <laughs> that there is an appetite for the spectacular that Conor Murray doesn't provide just based on what we saw during the World Cup, what we saw in, in 2019, that those little X-factor moments might provide a little bit more enjoyment, basically. And it, But at the same time, it's quite a, uh, quite an easy thing to say, like, just start one, one guy over the other because he can produce these moments. Whereas, as Murray points out, it's about an 80-minute performance. There's so many intangible things and so many tangible things as well that... Murray does better than Cooney. Yeah, I could understand completely why Farrell gave Connor the start last week. Um, I thought it was a really smart thing to do. Did he, you know, steal the show? No, he didn't. Uh, but Cooney then got twenty minutes um, experience, you know, and uh, got got to show what he can do. I think it's getting closer. I think this week, and I, I, I would argue that maybe, maybe Cooney's confidence and his form. Could actually be a spark for others. That's all. I I, I don't think Connor's playing. Connor's playing fine. There's absolutely no problem, and he's 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 certainly not uh, holding the team back or anything like that. He's not at the level he was where he used to bring other people into the game, and he he nearly became uh, you know someone that the opposition were spending a lot of time talking about. That's not the case at the moment. So that would be more my argument. If if like could could Cooney be the spark um, that maybe Ireland need? You know, and a, and a moment like it only takes one or two moments to like for the whole thing to change. You know, and uh, he has that confidence at the moment it's a different test and also for Ireland you know he's not going to be the game manager because Johnny will do a lot of it so, so he's not going to go kick for Ireland either which is obviously a big part of it so there's got, there's there's a lot of different question marks around him but um, I think if Connor isn't you know an 8 out of 10 this week you can't really keep picking him you know what I mean yeah. you've got to give Cooney a, a shot Is there an argument to be made that Connor Murray at the moment is 80% of the player he was purely on the basis that he's 30 years old has been playing at the highest level for 10 years and his style of play is extremely abrasive and that athletes actually have a, a you know a past nah he'll come back again he's just on a bit of he's on a, 
I think he was on the dip and he's actually on the way up again. Okay. I think he's turned the corner to a certain extent. Uh, now to get back to the heights that he was at, I think he's about twenty percent off that. But I have no doubt he's he's he could be still playing the way he played at thirty four, thirty five. He just needs to, he's just on a he's just on a little bit of a rush. Obviously injury and force some, but confidence maybe not as high. The whole fact talk the whole fact that everyone's talking about should he be dropped? You know that's some change for. You know where he was at a year ago. You know, so that's obviously will will affect him a little bit. He's just got to find his rhythm, and 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 find his way out of it. And whether that's for Ireland or whether that's for Munster, that will come. You know, it's just uh, and the fact that we have someone to potentially talk about replacing him, I think, is a really positive thing. You know, and how would he react to being dropped? Like that could be the spark. I don't know. I'm not saying he's he's um, he's relaxed and, and complacent, but just at the moment, things aren't flowing for him. And again, that's not. He's not playing badly. It's just not flowing at the level he can play at. I just want to add two final things. I don't think he's as fit as he was. And I don't think the higher few player management helps the players sometimes. I imagine over Christmas he would like to have played those two games instead of two weeks off. I don't think he's as physically sharp as he was. I think he thrives on a really good run of games. And the other thing to consider is the kind of cohesion. I know that's a coach's term, but they're considering the partnership and I imagine if you ask Johnny Sexton he'd want Conor Murray at nine because they have that relationship started off rockily but now they just need a glance at each other you saw for the try I know they were playing pen advantage and they probably had that plan but it was just a glance I don't even know if they made a call and they, they worked together really well so that comes into it as well Wales have named their team and there is only one change to the starting lineup. Uh, Nick Tompkins comes in at 13 he was very impressive at the weekend George North Moves to his favoured wing, I suppose. Which is interesting. I would have thought that actually Robbie Henshaw being at 13 for Ireland, he would have marshaled North quite capably. But um, it seems as though they won't really uh, cross paths directly anyway. Uh, are you surprised by anything in the in the Wales team, Bernard? Or? No, I, I think George was only a stopgap at 13. I know they're talking, oh, it's, it could be a second coming for him. But I don't think he's comfortable at 13 at all. He's not a he's not a footballer. He's a, he's a finisher. So I think that's a... A disadvantage for Ireland that Tompkins has come in now he came in he was very impressive last weekend but um, he's been he's been a really solid player for Saracens over the last last couple of years we you know all the regions were were obviously aware that um, he was Welsh qualified and so everyone had their homework done on him and he was someone that everyone was keen to bring back to Wales but he he had no interest but uh, you know it's, imagine this summer that could be different you know now he's a Welsh international but uh, um, he was also dual qualified he could play for England as well but. Um, Wales came first so uh, he's he's a good operator um, and I think he'll actually make them more dangerous to be honest um, than they would have been with George uh, at 13 McNichols is a dangerous is a good player he drops out but a fairness to North and I think he's, he's a bit like Murray actually he's not in form at all sorry he's not at the level he, he can be at but all the coaches know that it just takes one opportunity and he'll you know he, he can turn a game and um, you know, hopefully it's not Saturday yeah, it's an interesting Wales team. They, they think that just remind there. I saw Darren Cave's tweet after the match last weekend. Really good, sensible argument that we know coaches don't pick on form at test level. Mm. It's about players who've proven it. CJ Sander has proven he can do it, and, and he did it again. So that's another fact to consider. I like to look at this Welsh team. Loads of experienced players who you mentioned. Tompkins is a new face. Dylan Lewis, a tight head, relatively new face. Uh, Wainwright, an incredible athlete. So they've got a nice little blend there. They're kind of on a similar journey to Ireland, really. New head coach, new attack coach. They're hoping to kind of broaden it out a bit. They're playing with more width in their attacking shape. They're keeping two forwards out in the 15-metre channel. Now, with the rain, I don't know how relevant that's going to be this weekend. I thought, listen, I know Italy were so poor, and, and that's worth noting as well, really poor. Gave them a lot of chances to kick return, but someone like Lee Halfpenny, who's been 
heavily criticised for not attacking in the past looks like he's a bit revived by the mindset they're trying to counter attack and working hard off the ball to, to give opportunities so they're on that kind of similar pathway um, and they also have really unreal foundations that Warren Gatland has left behind similar to Andy Farrell like Joe Schmidt built the house and you're just adding, adding the finishing touches maybe around it after a, a kind of stale year with the, the paint peeling off the walls <laughs> Wayne Pivak is in the same boat where Warren Gatland has left them as Grand Slam champions I know they were lucky enough to get into a World Cup semi-final that should be in France but for Sebastian Vahamina's elbow um, but there's a really good layer to build off there so it's an exciting time for them but I just feel like they missed out last weekend because they looked really good against Italy but it, it wasn't a test bar at the scrum where they gave up three penalties I think Wynne Jones got done twice and, and Dylan Lewis yeah. got done once as well the line-out wasn't perfect either so they had little flaws in it Italy even managed to get a, I think three or four line breaks out of them as well so even with Italy being what I thought exceptionally poor worst I've seen them play in the Six Nations for a long time Wales didn't look perfect either so I think it's a good time for Ireland to play them but I'm really yeah. excited about where Wales can go yeah but they've got some players in real form like Josh Adams yeah. just can't stop scoring oh, tries um, his work rate is, is phenomenal I think Bigger is a far better player now than he was two or three years ago and that's yeah. not saying he was a bad player but he's a far more all-round uh, well-rounded player and if probably that's really important because Pivak and Stephen Jones want to play so the fact that he's with Chris Boyd in in, in, um, in Northampton is a, is a real plus for them and obviously we, we know he's got a ma- big uh, big match temperament he's a great goal kicker great line kicker great high ball kicker and then Faletau is, is I don't know if you've seen many of his games for bats but um you know, he, he the minutes he's put together has been phenomenal. Yeah. You know, um, he obviously had two years worth of injuries, and Alan Wynn as well. You know, um, he has we haven't seen him at, at obviously the World Cup. He was outstanding. He hasn't played a lot for for Ospreys. They've given him a long break, but like he loves these big games. So they probably have four or five players who are really you know if you pick the Six Nations team, they maybe be in it, and, and we don't at the moment. Yeah, to a certain extent. Now some of that's based on on World Cup, but that's that's a worry. The, it was actually speaking of fitness you say Alan Wynne Jones hasn't played it was the first time I've seen him out out on his feet yeah. at that level he looked so unfit in that game he missed a ruck at one stage yeah. he got turned over on their little three man pod at the end of the game like, I know it's tough going 80 as a second row and I know he's very fit and, and you wouldn't doubt him in the bit but again it looks you like don't he see suffered twi- from not playing you don't see that twice with him yeah. that, 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 yeah, that, like yeah. he would be that's so gone now. yeah that's gone Yeah, he's got a 80 minutes under his belt in a test match uh, he needed a game he he, he like a lot of the rest of them had seven weeks off I think he had 11 yeah, and you know came into an Ospreys team they were struggling probably not playing high tempo but uh, he won't want he won't need two two games of that he's yeah. pretty driven that game was his burpee I think. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what did you see Bernard from Wales defence actually that uh, varied at all from the previous regime it's a uh, Boyer and Hayward is running the show there yeah now. and in fairness again there's, there's a real kind of uh, consistency of coaches coming from the Scarlets um, who know each other well you know Pivak Pivak had the Wales, the WRU wanted Edwards to stay on, but I think Wayne wanted maybe a, a change to a certain extent. And, and uh, um, so, yeah, Hayward's come in, good good defence coach. Probably last year, the Scarlet's defence was dropped off to the level it was the year before, but um, this Welsh team loved defending. And uh, it's, a, it's a less aggressive, uh, I suppose, model than Sean Edwards, but it's still pretty... Um, pretty hard to break down and uh, Italy yeah, Italy aren't a good test but you know if we break that consistently at the weekend you know we know our attack is is on the way up Do you see them as being susceptible at scrum time based on what Italy were able to do to them and also I think Italy got a bit of purchase out of them in the mall as well so even though ours isn't exactly firing all cylinders yeah. it might be the game that is the catalyst to get it 
uh, back to, well, something resembling the form it was once in. Yeah, none of their four props are, are renowned scrummagers. They're all better. So Dylan Lewis is a really good ball player. Wynne Jones is a good ball player. Leon Brown will become a you know a very good scrummager, but at the moment there's big doubts about that. And uh, Reese Carey is a, is, a, is a ball player rather than a scrummager. So for sure, like I don't think they have one out-and-out scrummaging prop um, in their matchday squad. So... That definitely could be a, an area that we can um, we can exploit, but we need to improve. You know, we were poor. I think it just points to how even it, it's hard to call that area. It's hard to call the line out. I think it's very hard to call the game because I think it's really even. You, you mentioned Ireland's slim favourites. I'd imagine. I think it could really go either way, and it's going to be so decisive for either of them. Probably less so the Welsh because they're away from home. But obviously, Ireland losing at home, your, your championships. Uh, hopes are gone so it really is pivotal and I think it's going to be on a knife edge all the way it's going to be really exciting yeah I think Ireland are 8 to 11-ish and Wales are 6 to 4 so very close uh, we got an email like a PR email from I can name them Ladbrokes because the podcast isn't sponsored but uh, they were saying that 75% of people have put the money on Wales so obviously there is a, a bit of confidence in, in Wales coming to Dublin it, it as you say Murray like they're two teams sort of on a similar well what we'd hope from Marlon's perspective are a similar trajectory, but probably trying to do similar things, just add a little bit of expansion, a little bit of width to their attack. Uh, and yet, if the Aviva pitch this weekend is a swamp and it's a murky day, you could just see this game being in one of those sort of old-fashioned Ireland-Wales slugfests. Yeah, and that's why like, I think Gary Ringo's, as soon as he got injured, you go, that's a huge loss because he has that creative spark, he has that insatiable work rate to get into good positions I actually think he's becoming a really good organiser they're trying to slightly tweak their attacking shape and, and get more width in, in the forwards and I think they're some of the forwards are reverting back to old habits and getting tight into ball carrying pods at times he was really good I think at directing it and you saw him work all the way across the pitch that time where Peter Romani got done for obstruction and he offloaded it was an incredible bit of work rate um, but I think actually if the game is a little bit tighter then having Robbie Henshaw there possibly suits this this fixture um, because he's a really good ball carrier, because him and Bundyaki are both powerful in the tackle. And if it is a more direct game, then I think that, that works really well. As well as having Andrew Conway in the wing, I think his defence has probably overlooked the, the quality he brings there, the robustness he's added to his game um, has been really good. So, yeah, I think it is going to be more that tighter game and, and um, Henshaw helps in that regard. If I was to push you for a prediction, Bernard, which way would you be leaning from this juncture on a Thursday? I'm form Wales, but uh, like I'd like to hope there's going to be a big improvement in Ireland's performance. Uh, I'm waiting for a while, but uh, on form, I think you have to you have to say Wales, and I I totally agree with Murray that the Italian game is so hard to even judge Wales on because like uh, Italy were pathetic, but based on where they where they are and where their mindset is, I think they're in a, possibly a better place. There's more deep rooted confidence in them coming, and I think we're still maybe a little bit. Um, Lacking a bit of real self-belief, and you know things have changed. Player-led, you know, um, new style of play, etc. But you know, if you look at if you look at where we got to 2018, that was built on 2016, 2017. You know, day in, day out, incremental improvements, um, and that's where we got real confidence. And we still weren't million miles better than everyone else, but we won a lot of tight games. Whereas now, you know, the lads are definitely feel as a change in the in the wind, but. It's not built on the on the on the on the kind of strong results and performances the Wales have had over the last two years. With a lot of the same players. I mean, Pivaks came in, but it's effectively Bart Tompkins. You know, these are the same faces that we've we've seen. Wayne Wright's jumped in to be a starter. Um, you know, Dylan Lewis has, has, has jumped in to be a starter, but in general, you know, the same players that have been involved in Gatlin's squad for the last three or four years. 
Yeah, hard to gauge exactly how good Wales were against Italy. You reckon, Barry, that it was difficult to gauge exactly where France were based on the performance against England? You said to Gary Doyle you were reticent to jump on the French I am. bandwagon. Spoil yeah. sport. I am. I'm spoiled sport. And I love French rugby more than anyone. I do hope they're back and I do hope they turn into genuine contenders for next whatever decade to come, having not been that for the, the last decade. I'm just a bit hesitant based on one game. Again, it's a small sample size. I thought England were atrocious in the first half. A lot of that was down to the French quality, definitely. They pressurised them. Um, they rocked them with some of their brilliant defensive sets. But, I mean, like George Furbank dropped a ball with a 2-1 on the edge inside the first 10 minutes. They knocked on the first possession in the 22. They kept getting into good positions and, and not putting it away. Owen Farrell was dropping balls. I think England's poor performance in the first 40 has to be considered. Obviously, England came back and they grabbed a losing bonus point a bit more time. They probably could have come back and, and, and drawn up or, or even maybe overtaken them. But uh, And I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it wasn't an excellent France performance. I thought they did some brilliant stuff. The first try in particular, it was clever. They obviously had targeted that fringe defence from the English with that third defender rushing up and, and exploring that with an, a little short pass, an inside pass then from Entomac. But the second try was lucky and Johnny May, like, what was he doing? Switches off. And then the third one, brilliance by DuPont but again like shambolic defence through the line out from England so I'm just waiting I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm more than happy to get on the bandwagon I don't think the Italy game is going to tell us much more about France I'll be really interested to see how England respond but I don't know I'm just hesitant uh, France have they've hurt me so many times I got, so, got my hopes up and then and then they just let me down yet again <laughs> what did you make of uh, what was an impressive French victory yeah it was and I think, I think um, speaking to Mike Prendergast a couple weeks ago the, the modern uh, new generation of French rugby players have changed massively like they want feedback uh, they train really hard they're, they're hypercritical of their own performance they believe they can win having won two junior world cups they're all playing now in the, either Pro D2 or top 14 so if they do a season in Pro D2 they'll get snapped up quickly uh, there's less foreigners in France so there's a lot of things coming together um, Galtier is technically very good bad man manager Ibanez is there to to look after that they've got Servas you know they've got Sean Edwards and, uh, but the key oh, Sean Edwards is obviously a key appointment but there's another guy in there uh, Vlock uh, Killier um, he's a South African he's a world renowned kicking coach okay uh, but not just the skill of actually kicking um, he looks he's massive into kicking strategy so basically he's a, he's a consultant he would have worked with um, uh, the South Africans he, he would have worked um, with the Bulls he, he, he goes to Japan a lot um, I actually wanted to bring him into Grenoble but I couldn't afford him uh, but he he would basically come in and set your team up um, in a way uh, that they they're unbelievably detailed in their kicking strategy which obviously helps defence uh, so him and Sean Edwards are, are working in tandem so now you have a very good defensive system which I, I actually believe in the old without a, a good kicking strategy coach you know, Sean Ever system would have got uh, found out because he was just def- defending in the wrong areas of the field f- too often. Um, so I think it's a really nice match. And people talking about French flair. France kicked the ball t- 27 times um, at the weekend. Now, I know the conditions were bad and they got a lead, etc. But of the last two Six Nations, 20 and 17, they were down to bottom. So there's a clear strategy there. The fact that Galti has been smart enough to go and invest in a in a kicking strategy coach. Um, and I saw I saw Sean Edwards, uh, they showed him coming out of the tunnel and he was chasing after Intimac and he was telling him to keep kicking it. You know, uh, it wasn't about his tackle technique, it was just literally get down the other end of the field and we can we can defend from there. So it's a nice there's a nice balance of expertise coming in with two foreigners who, who are both specialists in what they do and have worked at a high level. Um I suppose the Galtier Galtier would have been the one who would have spotted that 
that weakness of the third defender. You know, and that's great. That'll give the players confidence that something that they they picked out worked. Uh, but the rest of it wasn't like it wasn't French flair. You know what I mean? They were, I, I agree, Murray. They were very lucky. But I do think sometimes a win like that against a team like England could be the spark if there's good fundamentals underneath, like the the, F, uh, the French Federation and the LNR are investing a lot into sports science, like uh, GPS. There's a lot of stuff happening because of Lepore and because of the, the World Cup in, in, in four years' time. His squad selection was full of youngsters. So they're going to have dark days, for sure. They're, they're far from perfect. Uh, but as long as they have enough, enough one or two you know, really positive uh, way and they stay consistent in terms of their, their strategy and selection, uh, which I'd like to believe that those two halfbacks will, will play a bit this, this Six Nations and not be chopped and changed, which has been a... Like, they've got brilliant halfbacks. They could pick but they could pick seven or eight different combinations and it'd all be decent. The problem is when you keep changing every week and that's yeah. kind of what's happened to them before. So I think there's enough positives to actually say, yeah, France have a chance. You know, but I, 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 don't, like, I don't think they're the finished article by any manner of means. But... Um, the, the kicking the kicking coach and the kicking strategy coach I think could be something they haven't had they, and the French f- public they talk about French flair they got so much out of winning against England uh, <laughs> you know what I mean people aren't and they got three tries because they have good individuals mm. um, but they, I don't think they'll ever be the attacking force um, that some of the other teams would be in terms of having a, a real fixed strategy but they have enough good athletes good individuals to make make things happen I mean Penno didn't play I know Rattes is brilliant but like Penno is absolutely class so they've got uh, Vakatara's class Teddy Thomas so they've got a lot of individuals who can just make things happen they nearly got that game like that sort of um, what's the word like the, the, the game that sort of lights a rocket under your arse essentially and sends you on a, a run against Wales last year twice really in the Six Nations like they absolutely threw it away and it may have been the game to light the torch paper is what I was trying to say a minute ago World Cup they came close against Wales as well semi-final might have kicked them on so like at least that victory over England now is a very solid foundation from which to build upon their defence under Edwards uh, actually closely resembles what he was doing at Wales like it's actually kind of interesting to me anyway how quickly he's been able to implement that especially given the language barrier that we discussed last week um a couple of like Fiku seems to be in that sort of Jonathan Davis role where from 13 he's kind of leading it a couple of differences based on what I'd seen would have been a 14 and 1 split as opposed to 13 and 2 and then also uh, DuPont doesn't sort of like rush out the way Garrett Davis would have done from the scrum half position where you're trying to create a, a dog leg in midfield now you don't want to sacrifice a scrum half like DuPont maybe but um, if they can sort of like that is a very solid foundation upon which yeah. you can build a team yeah, and I think generally working on defence is the quickest thing you'll organise as a new coaching setup because a lot of it is down to pure work rate. Maybe in the in the past, French teams haven't quite been as fit. The thing that frightens me about what you said there is that that new athlete coming through is diligent, fit, hardworking, yeah. wants to get better. And you can see that. The likes of Gregory Aldrit, like he's 22, he looks about 30. He attacked, what, 23 defensive breakdowns, slowed the ball consistently, back on his feet when he wasn't going to win the ball. They just worked so hard for each other. They're patient. They're technically excellent in the tackle. They're good athletes. They should be good in the tackle. 93% tackle rate, I think, they had in this game. So it's been frustrating watching France because you knew and know they have this potential. Like They always have unbelievable athletes, unbelievable individual players. In the past, they were maybe a bit lazy, a bit sloppy, ill-disciplined. This time, they weren't giving away those cheap penalties they stuck to their system which I know say Ron O'Gara and probably you and Grenoble as well going to France and and guys would just go off page even though you'd all agreed on it on a defensive system (laughs) they all stuck to it this time 
if if they're implementing a kicking strategy like that and, and diligently sticking to it as well, it's really promising. And th- like Entomac is twenty. He's we're talking about before we came on malleable young players. Yeah, he's ready to be shaped a, a, as needs be at that level. He's only twenty. He's going to be twenty four. What at the next World Cup? That's just scary. He's another two or three in him. So yeah, I think it's exciting that they're harnessing that potential and the resource. Like that coaching team that doesn't come cheap. No. France have big resource. We like our rugby in Ireland, but when you go over there, like you know it better than anyone, Birch. Like the the history, the tradition, the amount it's discussed, the media coverage is off the charts, and they just love the game. So I think it's really exciting if they can push on from this point. Do you reckon, Bernard, that it will be the case that, say, with the halfback pairing, you hope that they retain their places and you sort of just continue with that combination to add that little bit of consistency and structure that they can do that with other sort of key combinations on the field? Like if you look at their back row. They're all very, they're actually quite different to a lot of the French back rows we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, you mentioned Aldrid, who's 22, but the average age of the back row is uh, 24. And there's only 20, 27 caps between them, but all three of them look like serious operators, like the type of back row that can nearly become like, you know, some of the first names you put in the team sheet and you go week on week. Like, is that, it, it, do you reckon that's what Galtier will look to do, or is there a danger that they will just sort no, of. I, no, I think that, that they'll there'll be much more consistent selection and uh, I thought actually speaking of fitness I thought Paul Williams looked you know uh, incredibly fit different player different player and then that because he's fit you can actually pair him up with Bernard LaRue who's like an extra back row um, and it worked really well their line out was, was exceptional uh, for, for, for most of the game and then just as you said their work rate and their activity was, was off you know England would have felt you know Sean Edwards and no O'Shawn Edwards if we if we go in off phases they, they'll crack and they didn't crack in terms of um, leaving holes or didn't crack in terms of giving away soft penalties, which is so unheard of for them. And and I think all those, like he's getting rid of all the fellas who had that emotional baggage um, and ability to, to to have brain farts at key moments, which has cost them. I mean, they, despite how bad they've been, they've been you know regularly quite close to pulling off a scalp. I mean, last year, the first round of Six Nations, the Wales obviously won a Grand Slam. Wales shouldn't have been back in that game. It was, it was 16-0 and, uh, you know, they committed suicide. Uh, so I think he's, it's more, it's not so much age, it's more around players that, that Galtier, and Sean Edwards will, will spot that really quickly. I mean, if he sees someone with a soft edge, uh, someone who, who takes a soft option in terms of, you know, staying the ground a half a second longer or not, like that's, he doesn't tolerate that for a second. Um, but I think the great thing is for Sean and is that the players have got that reward with a win by implementing the kind of work rate and, and demands he has and that'll stand to them now whereas if they if France had lost the first four games and shipped a load of points I think it'd be it, known their mentality well in fairness these are, this younger generation are a little bit different but historically they'd they'd blame the coach or say it was too hard um, or doesn't work it's very hard to say that to Sean Edwards because it's worked pretty much everywhere you know and he, he won't let you take that soft option so yeah I, I think they're once they're staying consistent in selection and and I think they have to you know they, they, they've got a good start they'll have to be more consistent than they have been before the other thing is you mentioned there people kind of focusing on French flair that's not really the tradition of French rugby it's, it's worth mentioning yeah. like French rugby is built on grizzled Mean spirited, horrible, horrible <laughs> lock forward, stamping on people's heads, but being really aggressive, winning nine three. Like that's a massive part of French rugby. That again, if, if you're not over there, you maybe don't get qu- quite as much. That you just see the, the classy tries by the cool backs who smoke their f- cigarettes before and have a glass of red wine at half time, 
and you think that that's Rentrobi. It's really not. It's, it's built on bullying things. <laughs> yeah, well, in Grenoble, because so Grenoble's in the Alps, right? So mm. traditionally, Grenoble was a team of mountain men. And um, if we scored a try, we had Gio Aplon. Uh, I remember we scored a try from our own 22. He beat about seven people and uh, he got like a, a clap. Uh, we got a mall from 15 yards out and like <laughs> the place is nearly riot. You know what I mean? It's just absolutely mental. And even the Irish teams used to go to Parc de France and, and ship 30 points. Yeah, for sure France ran in some brilliant tries, but it was on the back of an absolute pasting up front and uh, and I think that's yeah people talk about French flair and they have had great individuals and they still have great individuals in this, in this team um, but it's always based on being really physical and really dominant set piece like they absolutely love that and, and um, you know they, they'll go back to that again Servat is a forwards coach I mean you know he he will have that pack in a really good place there is, at the very least, a romance, I think, brewing yeah, again. Definitely. That's going to be exciting to see how they go. England and Scotland will both be absolutely smarting based on their respective performances, and Scotland, more particularly the result in Dublin. It's actually kind of a tantalising clash now because it's effectively loser goes home um, in terms of being a player in the championship. Briefly enough, but where do you see uh, the winning and losing of that game? Like England will obviously be favourites but just based on the fact that Scotland did show us a little bit more edge than we'd grown accustomed to seeing and the fact that it's uh, on their turf and you know it's a little bit special that occasion like to give Scotland much of a chance there like it's a good time to be playing them six day turnaround is is the thing like that after a, well, yeah. a physical performance but I think the changes that Jones has made look smart to me Ben Young's been playing poorly for a couple of games in a row I mean the image of him passing into touch again is so reminiscent of the time in the World Cup final. He missed two tackles for the two tries. The first one was really yeah. poor. He just slipped off Rathez. He should have tackled him. George Cruz comes into the second row, a big nuts and bolts lock who's going to run your line out, be aggressive. Makavunapola, one of the best loose heads in the world. Um, and Jonathan Joseph in for two laggy. I know a lot of the English media are focusing on the last time that those that 10-12-13 combo played together. They lost in Murrayfield, but I saw Simon Gleave tweeting they've won 15 of the 17 games they've played as well. And it's obviously a very isolated statistic uh, and Lewis Lodham adds a bit of bite into the back row as well I think he'll get the response it was interesting I know I referenced Eddie Jones book uh, last week but I'm working through it there was a little passage when they go over to Australia on that tour soon after the World Cup and they win 3-0 and he's talking about Australia and he says people uh, who have, haven't been in the position themselves have little idea of the emotional toll felt by the te- team who lose a World Cup final you're so close to winning the greatest event in rugby and suddenly you've lost the game and all your hope it's hard to recover mentally and spiritually now I'm interested if they knew that if they remember that was there after Eddie Jones's England lost the World Cup final later in the book but it is interesting and I think it gave a bit of insight into how mentally poor England were last weekend like that's the big challenge for them this week is to be solid secure not repeat those errors and not I suppose collapse in on themselves when things start, don't start going well because it is it is a tough task I would imagine like Eddie Jones acknowledges there to get up after losing a World Cup final it's obviously a massive factor as well that you lose somebody like Tulangi and before the tournament you lose Billy Vunapola they're two guys who are sort of uh, the epitome of what England now do under Eddie Jones even though they've added plenty of versatility to their game you know, you just like if you can bash the opposition up the middle and break the game line consistently, it just it's you're singing to a completely different tune. Is it a struggle, Bernard? Do you think, even though it's only two absentees, but to sort of recreate what they were doing last year without guys that can, yeah, it is drag struggle. three three players with them and yeah, it is a struggle. But you, like England, if they have anything, they have like really good athletes, really powerful players across the park. We all. 
you know, we obviously Billy and, and Mako or Billy and um, Tulagi are a little bit special in that, but they should have enough power to share across fifteen players to to be able to I suppose enforce themselves against Scotland. Now it'll be a real test for Scotland. If Scotland can show real physicality against England, we know that they're, you know, a, a proper team. If they don't, you know, we'll be looking at ourselves. But I think Mako come back in and, and will be will help. I think Cruz will be a will be a help as well. Um and yeah, I agree Ludum uh is is a is a tough tough player. But difficult, you know, to go away from home first two games up against the Scotland team we're playing much more pragmatic rugby um as well and uh, more direct. Uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be tough. If they, the worrying thing for me was just yeah how how they showed a real lack of cohesion and lack of belief and like they could have dug themselves out of that as well as we said France did. England still should have probably should never go into that situation, but uh, uh, I mean maybe to dig themselves out a little bit earlier as well and to give themselves a chance of, of winning it, which would have been incredible for them. You know we were talking about this mental strength resilience because uh, France at the end were starting to crack a little bit, so it is going to be difficult. I wonder where Eddie's you know headspace is at. You know. Um, he's you know he spoke about how he's kind of lost a little bit of hunger for it for a while and starting to come back now but like he's someone who is revved up all the time and if he loses that real spark and that edge like he was building towards world cup same with japan world cup world cup going to win the world cup and then obviously you know semi final you think well we're going to win the world cup and then mm-hmm. it falls and then and then the saracens players you know are they are they affected by this mentally is it too close to you know the decision a couple of weeks ago um they didn't really you know look um, you know, I told you gave away a shoot penalty where he was just the wrong side of the, the break. You know, he just I know he, he's prone to that, but they didn't look to be in the form they were. Oh, like Farrell's two drop passes, yeah, were, were incredibly young. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there is a there's definitely a doubt around where they are in terms of headspace. Like his coaches, um, you know, he, his coaches don't stay long. Um, you know, we, we know Bordwick is a skills coach now, but because he's going to to Leicester. Maybe there's just too much change uh, for them in the backroom staff and uncertainty. Eddie's only contracted for two years. I think, you know, if you're a player and you, you don't get on with Eddie, you say, well... Uh, I can sit it out for yeah, two yeah, years yeah, I'm not, still factoring yeah, the World exactly. Cup. So much change. Like, whereas before yeah. was, he's going to the World Cup, whatever he says goes 100%. So, yeah, maybe maybe they're, they're vulnerable at the moment. I think he works best when he has that cycle as well. You think exactly. of with Japan, he came in, he had to completely change everything really and it worked out really well they beat South Africa however they built up to the South Africa game then they dropped off in the last World Cup cycle they built up to beating New Zealand which they did unbelievably comprehensively and unfortunately dropped off for the final now it doesn't feel like he has the goal I know he threw out the greatest team ever to play the game thing but that's just rubbish isn't it like that's just him trying to I think it was him trying to create a goal yeah. you know? I don't like, even know if it is though because he couldn't even define what it was he, I thought it was, it was very waffly what he described as a team who couldn't adapt and all this it wasn't clear to me I think he needs an, an achievement a goal a game to chase after to be really driven by to get up at 5am every morning and, yeah. and get going again and putting and it might be uh, Six Nations might be enough for him yeah he might like because he's been to whatever World Cup final with Scotland or with South Africa as part of the staff Australia England um, and what he did with Japan was probably as good as you know winning the World Cup for most countries so whether uh, whether he's just whether he's just really switched on, whether he knows his long term futures in 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 the UK or is it somewhere else, um, and I think if he's a little bit off, that'll reflect on the on the team. Sounds like a Scotland win to me, lads. I still it? think England are going to win. But I think they'll recover. I think they'll rebound. There's too there's too many good players yeah. in that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would expect a I would expect a reaction for sure. One last question, so from the WhatsApp group before we wrap, and uh, it comes from 
Barry Lampkin. I told him I'd ask this one. I'm going to sort of paraphrase slightly because it was a long message, but he was saying he has concerns about modern rugby. Um, you, Murray, apparently gave him some cause for hope, I think, in one of the podcasts during the week. But he was saying defences are getting more dominant and finding it quite easy to fill the width of the pitch. And number two, the brutality of the breakdown is getting out of control and inconsistent refereeing like on Saturday, uh, is making it dangerous and also impinging upon uh, attacks, ability to go wide and things like that. Um, so what he was sort of suggesting, like, for, say, players coming in on the side or just cynical killing of the ball, should there be some kind of mandatory sin bin or something like uh, you would get a yellow card for a professional foul in football, a black card in Gaelic football, which is controversial. Like, something that you just go, like, for for very blatant cynical play that's disrupting the game, just get off for ten minutes. Yeah, I think referees can definitely be stronger. You, you see a lot of people getting away with, with clear, deliberate, practiced, coached cheating. It's part of the game, and we almost kind of go, "Oh yeah, I actually sometimes respect you." You see someone blocking off the ball, and you go, "Great play." Maybe that's wrong. Maybe we're wrong to to think like that in rugby. There is a kind of acceptance of it and a respect, begrudging respect for for someone getting away with some of that. Um, I told the inside the stuff was really inconsistent last weekend I really thought Reynal was one of the worst refereeing performances I'm not someone who focuses on a lot I thought it, it ruined the game to a large extent it was really inconsistent um, and then I was disappointed with the attack from teams I didn't see much variety in, in people's attack, attacking kicking game which I thought was a big uh, trend last year I thought that was going to be a real development of it my favourite part of the weekend was when the, the Welsh uh, trio of forwards set up Nick Tompkins try when there was a little short pass back inside to Corey Hill offload I thought it was a nice play when the defence had really stretched across the pitch again it's against Italy's defence which was really bad at times but to see that little bit of interplay I think that along with a, a variety of kicking is what's going to develop and, and constantly ask those questions of, of defences Sorry I actually sold Barry's idea short so when he, when I referred to the mandatory yellow card he was suggesting that you bring in a mandatory yellow card for when an advantage is being played so basically you're punished for cynical play during an advantage it was something that he, he kind of reckoned might work after what Ireland did with penalty advantage on Saturday and reading your analysis piece yeah there's a law trial that was certainly being discussed I went to a law meeting in Marquise at one stage in France and they discussed if you get to a certain level of penalties straight away yellow card which right. might be a, a solution in that regard because sometimes ref go okay there's been three offside penalties in a row but this is actually a high tackle pen, uh, penalty so I won't go for the yellow here but maybe if you have that cut off point um, it, it cuts down on the infringing yeah could make that sort of free hit a little bit more exciting as well as Barry says gentlemen thanks very much for your time Thank Bernard you. we'll catch you again soon and Murray we will catch you over the weekend post match um, a reminder members.the42.ie if you want to get all of our extra podcasts over the six over the course of the Six Nations and beyond we'll have extra podcasts during European weeks and things like that as well and much much more Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend and we will catch you over the weekend. Uh, Until then, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. (laughs) It is coming on! Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass.